Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. Good, good. Um, tell the person beside you, I survived September. Um, uh, September was kind of a blur, wasn't it? I, um, I, my sitting there at the front this morning summed it all up. I was looking frantically a few minutes ago for my mic box and, and, and all my stuff. So my right hand, I was looking all through it, but I was actually holding it in my left hand. So that summed up my September. It was um, kind of a busy, busy month. But there we go. Um, we have completed September around a compass theme, pointing a direction, mapping out the way ahead. We are um, looking at this new theme, which will become more clear next week on, around the presence of God um, and camping at the source. Um, and that's what we want to do. We want to camp at the source of what God is doing. Now, um, all through September, uh, we, we bombarded you with this verse. Um, hopefully now you'll be able to say it off by heart. It's talking about the early church, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And what I want to do, Dave picked out the breaking of bread, rightfully so, as we came around the table of the Lord this morning. I want to pick out the idea of devoted to prayer. Um, as we begin a new season in church life, as we run through now till uh, probably in the academic year, running through to the end of June, there's something about um, church life that doesn't really function properly if prayer life isn't at the heart of it. Um, it's the only thing that Jesus ever called his church. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He never called it anything else. He called it a house of prayer. And so for prayer life, we know this. We know this as Christians. If our prayer life begins to deflate, everything around it um, deflates with us. I said in my seminar um, last Saturday that um, your soul is a, a stream out of which every other part of your life gets fed. Um, your soul is a stream out of which every other part of your life gets fed. And if it gets dry, then everything else gets dry along with it. Now, you didn't, you didn't make the stream. God made the stream. But you are the keeper of the stream. You are the keeper of it. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. I've talked to you before about my devotion continuum um, analyzing a little bit where you are in the devotion around devotion to the house of God, devotion to breaking of bread, and, and, and specifically your devotion to prayer. I'd love you to think about where you are in that continuum. All of us, self-included, in the room today could do with a bit of a kickstart in our prayer lives, um, and we're going to talk about that um, this morning. So this passage um, that we've quoted right throughout September in Acts 2 is this idea of, of, of vision of how God would transform the world. People that are sent out, one, they aren't sent out one by one, they're sent out um, as a company and God's plan is to draw individuals into a supernaturally empowered community of people and the key uh, word in this passage of course is this word devoted, it just means um, love, loyalty, and enthusiasm to a person or an activity. That's the Oxford 
um, dictionary for it. So without supernatural devotion, without supernatural levels of devotion uh, and dedication and commitment, I think the church ends up a bit helpless and a bit hopeless. And we often say a little statement around here for a movement to, to be a movement that has to keep moving. Now, it sounds simple, but it's very powerful. And if it doesn't keep moving, then it becomes a monument. And we all know there's far too many monuments about. So we need to, um, when this church full, first assembled together, they were, they were fully engaged. This devotion to the house of God was the highest priority in their lives. And they were high on this devotion continuum. And if you read on in the passage, we'll not take time to read it all. You'll see all that happened as they got devoted, things began to happen. They weren't just consumers of church services. They were participants that took their masks off and they committed to serving those in need and they prioritized being part of a community. And of course, as a result, you can see the bottom, I've highlighted it a little bit, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that. So today, as we look at the devotion to prayer, it's really important to grab that. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk to you about one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. I'm going to talk to you about Daniel and the, the, the den of lions, all right? Everybody, I'm sure, has heard of Daniel and the den of lions. And if you haven't, you're going to hear about it today, all right? Now, I'm going to take you through Daniel chapter 6, all right, it's going to be on the screens, but if you want to throw a marker in your Bible, you can read it. There's loads of Bible verses today, so I'm going to take you a trot right through this story. But before we do that, um, here's a little, um, a little thing to test your knowledge, all right? So you can, the person beside you, now if you're, here's a, here's a little clue. If you were here on Wednesday night and you listened, you might have heard a few of these answers, all right? Tell the person beside you, See, remember the children of Israel went into bondage and they were taken down into Babylon by, by Nebuchadnezzar? Yes? Okay. Well, how old do you think Daniel was when he was taken hostage and exiled to Babylon? Tell your neighbor what age you think he was. Anybody any idea? He was 15. He was 15. Any 15-year-olds? I know a few. Yeah? 15-year-olds? Give me a wave. There we go. <clears throat> Some 15-year-olds in here. Um, uh, how old was Daniel when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's first dream? Anybody any idea what age he was? No, there's no, there's no wrong answer, by the way. He was 17. He was just 17 when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. Now, how old was he when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's second dream? And you're going to put another two years on it and you'd be wrong. He was 49. He was 49. 32 years passed, of which we know nothing about Daniel other than his faithfulness to the house of God. All right? Now, <clears throat> how old do you think he was when he translated the handwriting on the wall at Belshazzar's feast? Any idea what age he was there? 81. 81. 81, 82, in around. Anybody know what age he was when he was thrown into the den of lions? 83. 83, all right? Um, you know how old he was when he received the prophecy of the 70 weeks that we have? He was 84. And of course, you all know how long he spent in captivity. You know that, 70 years, yeah? 
But you know many kings or many rulers he served under, he served under four rulers over his lifespan. So we've this, this long life of Daniel, this 70, almost 70 years in captivity, and there's so much that we can learn from him about longevity this morning. So Daniel was among the Jewish captives, as I said. Uh, he was brought to Babylon from Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar conquered the city. Now, Daniel seemed to be of high status, all right? There's loads of verses, so as we go through this and catch, catch the story, um, the king ordered uh, Penaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. So obviously Daniel had some kind of high standing, and such was his high status, that he was considered um, uh, a wise man in the court of Babylon even as a young age, all right? Now, he didn't want to play the role of victim in this land, even though he was dragged into a foreign land. And he quickly recognized that something about his devotion to Yahweh began to spread um, throughout the land. He refused to eat the dainties of, um, that they, they, they were brought to him by the king's servant. And Daniel decided to live for God in the workplace. He made a decision that he was going to live for God in the workplace. He just wasn't going to put his suit on on Sunday. He was going to live this out, everyone, every day, everywhere. He was going to live this out in the workplace, just like many of you, as you walk into your workplace um, tomorrow morning. Now, he also became recognized as an interpreter of dreams. Uh, as I said, at just 17, you can pick that up in Daniel 1, 8 to 16, because King Nebuchadnezzar was disturbed by a dream, and all his wise counselors couldn't interpret it. And uh, Daniel offered to give the king the interpretation, and the king was very appreciative to Daniel. And he was so impressed that he allowed Daniel to rise to a place of great prominence in Babylon. Really interesting. Now, when Babylon fell to the Persians, all right, the Jews had new masters over them. And even then, Daniel was quickly recognized as a very special man, and he had favor with the king of Persia. And now what happens is he rises up into the political realm. And um, you've just got to see the spiral of favor and success in this man, even in a foreign land, which is so beautiful, um, with no backup, no encouragement. And this went on for decades Decade after decade after decade, this faithfulness, and I'm going to suggest to you this morning, it all revolved around his prayer life. All revolved around his prayer life. It says that Daniel soon proved himself more capable than the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. When the new king came into power, he was so impressed by Daniel's track record that he obviously liked him as well. And while Daniel... Was in the, he was in one of the top three positions in the country. The king says, I want to rise him up to the highest next to me. So he's looking to make him like prime minister, really, or something to that, or president, or something to that effect. And this caused many in authority to scrutinize Daniel and to look at his flaws and characters. But here's the thing. The more they tried to find a flaw in him, they couldn't find one. The more they tried to trick him up, they couldn't find any flaws. It says then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way of Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find a thing. Not amazing. What a guy. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Now, that's some, like all of you um, 
business owners in here today, that's something to say about an employee, isn't it? Somebody that would be um, always responsible, faithful, and completely trustworthy. Now, these guys, this is Daniel 6, 4, the, I'm in Daniel 6, so I'm not put all the verses, the references all up, I'll put the verses up, but you, you can follow the story in Daniel 4. These guys are insanely jealous of David. They couldn't find a thing. How incredible is that? In a day of corruption, in a day of political, in this political arena, this guy is spotless. Now, my mom used to use this verse for me all the time. She said, son, always be careful as you grow in ministry and as you grow in the Lord, because she said, people will be jealous of it. And she used to say this to me. She said, jealousy, son, is as cruel as the grave. What is more cruel than the grave? I can still hear her say it. She would say it with that emphasis. She said, son, what is more cruel than a grave? And yet jealousy, the song of Solomon tells us, is more um, cruel than the grave and its flames are flames of fire, a most fervent flame. So, what do you think they did? Well, let's go on. In the story, they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds to accuse Daniel is, is in connection with his faith. It's only where we're going to trip him up. The only place we're going to find a flaw is in connection with his religion. The new Daniel was a man of prayer. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. He didn't hide it. Everybody knew. They knew that Daniel had a place of prayer. They knew that Daniel uh, had never hidden in a land that was counterculture to do this. He had never hidden the fact that he loved his Lord and his God. He, this was not cool in this era, and yet Daniel didn't hide it. And so what they did was they developed a plot and uh, to have Daniel thrown into a land's den. And they appealed to the king's ego, and bingo, they got him. They appealed to the king's ego and they got him and the king thinks, bowing down to me seems a pretty good idea. And so the administrators and the high officers went to the king. They said, long live King Darius. And we were all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that would be um, strictly enforced and give orders that the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone divine are human except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue, you see how they're just lapping around him, can't you? Um, issue this and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Now you can imagine this moment. I can imagine what would happen at this moment. If it was me, what I'd be doing, I'd be phoning, I'd be getting my mobile phone and I'd be ringing Daniel and say, hey Danny, Things good? I'm going to tell you there's a bit of a plot against you. You need to stay out of that place of prayer for the next 30 days. 30 days have set up this thing that you're not allowed to bow to your God. You have to bow to the king. So just stay out. And, and don't pray in your normal place. Basically is what they're saying. Now the whole city had seen Daniel's prayer prod and there was no secret that he climbed the stairs of his home three times every day, fired open the windows towards Jerusalem and cried out to the Lord. This was the thing that made his friends jealous, you see, and the idea of this new law was to catch him. Now Dan's a smart boy. He's been around a while. Actually, at this point in time, he's been around 68 years. <laughs> 68 years. In this foreign land, he knows the gen. He knows these boys. He has them to a T. He knows exactly what they're thinking. And so he has options. He has some options, right? Here's his options, I think. First option, I'll pray in the hop for 30 days. I'll not go up into the place. And that'll, that'll, that'll fool them. I'll pray in the hop for 30 days. Or I'll tell you what I'll do. I have a better idea. I'll pray when I get into bed. 
That's a better idea. And then I can doze off. I'm in bed. It's all snug. And I'll, I'll pray in there. And just somebody for 30 days after all. So I'll just pray in bed. Or maybe, maybe what I'll do, I'll maybe go and confront these backstabbers. And I'll tell the king what they're at. And confront them. Because after all, it's just 30 days. Well, none of those options happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With the windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had done before, giving thanks to his God. He knew what was going on. He knew that he could not live without this pattern. He knew he's 83-ish or thereabouts. I love learning from older people. He was high, you see. He was high on the devotion continuum. He'd lived 80 years in this life. He had realized that he couldn't live without a prayer life. He realized it was the substance to everything he was, and he knew that he couldn't live without it. Here's what happened. Then the officials went together to uh, the house. They knew they'd catch him. And they found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about the law. And they said, did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, he replied. The king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians. Can it be revoked? They told the king, that boy Daniel, (laughs) you think he's good, but he's one of the captives of Judah, and he's ignoring your law. He's ignoring your law, and he prays to his God three times every day. And I bolded this, or I put it in capital letters, because I I thought, wow, this is amazing. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. Here's a foreign king touched by a man's faithfulness to his God. Tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of his day looking for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. Remember, back at the start, we saw that the king had a plan to exalt this man, Daniel, to a high office, and now here he is stupidly being tricked into destroying him, and he's cornered himself. So what does he do? Uh, This is an interesting verse. I think he met him privately. doesn't tell us, but I think he did. So the king at last gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions, and I think before that all happened, the king took him aside and said, Daniel... Daniel, may your God remember this is a godless land. I have so much respect for Daniel. Um, He says, Daniel, um, your God, whom you serve so faithfully, may he rescue you. The New King James puts it, or the authorized version puts it better. It says, uh, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. I love that. Now, here's what happened on their story. Stone was brought. And you enjoying the story? Good. Um, a stone was brought and uh, placed over the mouth of the den. King sealed the stone with his own royal seal, seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace. See, this king loves this guy. Um, he goes and he spends the whole night fasting. He refuses usual entertainment. Couldn't sleep at all that night. Says very early the next morning, the king got up and... Uh, he hurried to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue? And I wonder, was he expecting an answer? I wonder, was he just expecting to find a mess? But here's what happened. Daniel answered, long live the king. 
My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, um, for I have been found innocent in his sight. All of you who sang it in Sunday good school. God had... Remember we used to do that? <laughs> uh, and, um, and this angel, he says, I, I've been found innocent in, in his sight and I've not wronged you, your majesty. What an incredible answer to prayer. And the angel whose job was solely to keep the lion's mouths shut for a night. Can you see God saying that? Now, you go down into that den of lions and just if any of them go to touch Daniel, boom, snuff him out. And he goes down and he, he shuts the... Pretty incredible, isn't it? These angels are pretty cool. And um, is it any wonder the scripture records that a fervent, effective prayer of a righteous person avails much. It has power. It has authority. It does something in the heavenlies. It opens something in the heavenly realm that develops into the earthly realm. There is something about an effective prayer life. And folks, can I say to you this morning, with all sincerity in my heart, you have no idea what you're missing if you don't have a sincere prayer pattern. You have no idea what you're missing if you don't have a sincere prayer pattern. Here's the result. Here's the result. The king was overjoyed, <laughs> ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. I wouldn't like that job, going down in there to lift him out, but there you go. Not a stretch was found in him, for he trusted in his God. Now, two things happened. The first one, bizarre and awful, and the second one, pretty amazing. The first one, which was really bizarre, the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children, and the lions leaped in them, tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. And then the second one, which isn't bizarre, the second one is pretty beautiful. It says the king writes a letter King Darius sent this message to the people and race and nation and language throughout the world. That's pretty cool. Throughout the world. And this is what he said. I'd agree that everyone um, without, throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And his rule will never end. He rescues and saves people. He performs miracles, signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lands. And I can imagine when he declared that, he probably jumped up and said, Worship Daniel's God. Love Daniel's God. Because he is able to save. Now that's... Hold the story there. I could go on and on. It's a good story, isn't it? Pretty cool. I could go on and on, but um, we, we, we could ask Daniel, Daniel, tell me this. Is the place of prayer important to you? And I think we've got our answer. I think we, we've studied that this morning, truly. And, and here's, and if, if, if we could ask Daniel, I think we've got Daniel's answer. Let's ask Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray. See what it doesn't say? If you pray. It says when you pray. Go away by yourself. Shut your door behind you. Pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, I don't know what pattern works for you. I've had a little pattern for years. And I hear all the new patterns. This has just been mine for probably 50 years now, I think. Near enough. I've had this little axe thing that I do. And it just works for me. Adoration. Adoration. Now, my adoration is, I'm not much of a singer, um, and, and, but I can, I can tell God I love him. And my adoration, I'm one of those people who, when I go to pray, I see a, a, a picture crooked, and it has to be fixed. I see dust in the floor, and I need to go and get... You, you, anybody else like that? 
So I found the best thing for me is to lie down, lie flat. So I have a, I have, I have a, I have a rug that I lay in my study where I just lie on my face. I think then I see nothing. And, um, and then I do nothing. And that works for me. And then I can hear the whispers of God while I lie on the floor. Confession. Confession of your sin. I cannot, nor can anyone, sincerely confess their sin on the run. Just can't do it. Can't do it. You cannot confess your sin on the run. And Thanksgiving, maybe you can do this one. You just sing in the car and all of that. You can do that one on the run. Supplication, you just won't do it. You just won't do it unless you set aside a time to supplicate, to get before the God. And it's quite possible. And you need to find out what works for you. It's quite possible. I've said this many times before that Daniel tried one time a day and realized it wasn't enough. And then he pushed it up to four and he realized he couldn't sustain four. And then he, he developed a little three um, time a day plan and he thought this works. And so he kept it going for decade after decade after decade after decade. And eventually he settled on a place, a posture, and a rhythm of prayer that he could sustain and would change his life and the life of a nation. Now, can I say this as I bring it into close? Every person and every man or woman that I know that have ever done anything for God that matters have a daily pattern. You know how I know that? Because I've been asking, you see. I've been asking around. And... Um, when I ask a person, if I ask Paul Rathor <laughs> about his prayer pattern, there's a grin, there's a smile, there's a, a depth of emotion that wells up in the eyes, you see, and, the face, and it gives it away. <laughs> just, they don't need to tell you anymore. Their, their expression gives it away. I know if I asked Brian Murphy, I could tell you his expression would give it away. Because there's something, uh, there's something that happens. You know, the, when the lifeblood that pumps in your spiritual veins is that prayer life that rises to God. You say, Phil, I'm not that disciplined, nor am I. This isn't discipline, this is desperation. In my life is not discipline, it's desperation. And uh, I can't live without this. Believe me, I've tried. God knows I've tried. I'm the worst prayer in the world. I just like doing, full of activity. And this is why Daniel decided he just couldn't compromise his place of prayer. He decided, you know what, if, you don't let, if you're not going to let me pray, just chuck me to the lands. Happy enough for that. Because if I can't pray, I'd rather just go home. Daniel would say, guys, when I was a 15-year-old boy, I decided that something that would sustain me through my life, and it's worked, and I'm not living without it, so just chuck me in and let it be done and dusted. That's what I think he said. And if almost six decades as a believer has taught me anything, it's this. Every time I compromise my place of prayer, my relationship with God slips into a vacuum. Every time I compromise my place of prayer, my relationship with God slips into a vacuum. I need this. You need this. Parents in this room, moms, dads, grandparents, you have no idea how important it is that you pray. And I, for one, I don't want to stand before God and give an account for a failure in someone's life that I was supposed to pray for. That's what parents do. That's what grandparents do. And I don't want to stand before God and give an account for some of my grandkids or my kids that I failed to pray for. 
to see the fulfillment of God in their life. If you follow my devotions every morning, you'll hear me say this. I don't say it just out of habit. It's the morning prayer, Psalm 5. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. You see, here's the thing. You've only between the day you were born and the day you die to get this right. Now, my now is a little bit on up the line a bit, as you can see. I'm not in the middle of my life. I'm past that. Many of you in the room are too, unless you're going to live to 150, which is highly unlikely. Um, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's no point of working and worrying about the first bit from birth to now because the bottom line, you've just got that little arrow. You've just got between now and your home call to get this right. So don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Some of us in this room are like myself, 60s. Some of you are in your 70s, maybe 80s. And you've got to get this right. Got to get this right in the time. Jesus did more in three years than many a person did in a lifetime. So don't think just because you're in your 80s or your 90s or whatever that it's too late. It's never too late. Let's change it now. That's the takeaway of this this morning is a daily pattern of prayer. And here's a couple of things, a couple of practicalities, and then we'll pray. Every fortnight we meet in alternatives buildings, Portadown and Lurgan, and we pray. One thing we're calling it, one thing I've asked of the Lord. I'm calling you last, last Wednesday night, the glory of God in this room was thick and heavy. Um, and a storm was blowing outside, but there was a better storm inside. And um, I'm calling you to that prayer time. One thing, let's fill the house with prayer. Once a fortnight, that's all it is. We come together. The bi-weekly is, um, is uh, life groups and the prayer room. Could we, between now and December, fill that room day and night with the prayers of the saints? Grab You've heard me say this before. When we pray that simple little line in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come and be on earth as it is in heaven, and we, we floss over that and miss the meaning. That's intercession. That's intercession. You can't call heaven to earth with a simple, Lord, bless me, please. That is, that, that's a prayer where, where, where people get into an intercessory act where they, they grab the lapels of heaven, as it were, and they pull, they tug on the lapels of heaven until they pull heaven to earth. That's a very powerful thing, isn't it? And as we stand in the gap for our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors and our nation, and we begin to see that actually what intercessory prayer is is grabbing hold of God, grabbing hold of someone, and building an intersection where the two actually meet. And you pray those big prayers where the two become one. That's what it means. Every, every one of us in this room that is born again, we're prayed into the kingdom. I believe that without a shadow of doubt. We're prayed into the kingdom. Somebody did it. Somebody grabbed. I can go back generations where they grabbed hold of God and they grabbed hold of their generations to come and they wouldn't let go. And they prayed I have five brothers and one sister and they're all prayed into the kingdom, I think, by a godly father and mother. All of them. And that's what we do. And so, can I say this to you? Um, I, I want to pray. I want to pray. We'll not worship at the minute. We'll just pray. In 
Luke 11, verse 1, um, the context of that scripture is Jesus has just prayed. <laughs> Jesus has just prayed to the Father. And the disciples look at him and they say, teach us to pray. Teach us to do what you just done. And I would love this morning that my biggest prayer for this house is that God would teach us to pray. That God would teach us how to pray. My prayer every day, Lord, teach me how to pray. I did this little series of meetings with my oldest brother up in um, Derry, um, way out in Mockery somewhere. I can't remember. The, there was a little crossroads and we put a, we put a, a, a big... A mobile home that seated about 40, 50 people. And we did four weeks every night, Monday to Friday, of gospel meetings. And we've seen half a dozen people saved at those meetings. I was about 25 years of age at the time. And we would go every night. My brother, Nori, is 11 years older than me, and he is a, he is, he's a genius at this stuff. I'm just a prodigy. And um, he... Uh, we would pray after the, we met with a couple of old friends that said, what about, what about meeting to pray after the meeting's over every night? And this old guy, some of you will remember Bill Russell. And Bill was such a character. And um, Bill used to pray. And Bill prayed for 20 minutes. And at the end every night he would say, and he had a wee bit of a stoppage, and he would say, Lord, 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 teach us how to pray. And I used to say to Nori, if the Lord teaches Bill to pray, we're not getting home. <laughs> We're here all night. So uh, I want to, let's stand. We'll pray. I want to pray that over you. I was going to say, if you'd like the Lord to teach you how to pray, stand. But I'm taking it for granted that that's everybody in the room. I'm just taking that for granted. And our cry to you, God, this morning is that you would teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray like we've never prayed before. Lord, teach us to pray those ugly prayers, those ones that aren't even recorded in Scripture because no words really suffice. When a man puts his head between his knees and cries out to God to change nature, there's no words suffice to describe that. When a man stands on a hilltop until he's absolutely exhausted with his two hands in the air, crying out to God, realizing that something would happen, there's no words. We don't know what he prayed, but we just know that he prayed. And he stood in the gap. And he interceded, Daniel, man of prayer. God, may, you, may we carry a mantle out of here this morning. May the, the ethos of what we've talked about this morning be that this house will be known as a house of prayer for all nations. Because that's what's going to change the world. That's what's going to change Craig Evan. And that's what's going to change your family. That's what's going to change your kids and your grandkids when you pray. And... and we sing it sometimes, even when we don't see it, he's working. He, even when we don't think it, he's working. You pray, you keep praying, even when you don't see it, he's working. He's working, and he's working, and he's working upstream. And my mom, if you're praying for your kids today, my mom used to say, they're not old yet, son. They're not old yet. Train a child up in the way they'll go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Keep praying. Keep praying those big prayers. So, Father, I pray that over this house today, over every family, that we will be a house of prayer for all nations. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. The tea and coffee's ready. Be blessed. Have a great week. Get into the prayer pattern. If you're having a place, 
Go to a place. Find where you're most comfortable in the mornings where there's the least distraction. Get a little bit of oil, anointed with oil, and say, God, I'm going to meet you here every single morning. I'm going to meet you here every morning uh, at a particular time and stick to it, and your life will change forever. Am I right, Julie? Amen. Good. Bless you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.